0: Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Washington is a place of extraordinary energy with various groups making up the whole of what we call Washington, that governs us, the seat of government, and the players in government. You've heard, for example, of the press corps, but have you heard, perchance, of the lawyer corps? Well, there's no such thing as the lawyer corps, but Washington lawyers, as you probably heard, are essential to the operation of Washington. Uh, Presidents depend on them, often informally for advice. Certainly, members of Congress depend on them, and of course, they practice before the Supreme Court. They also perform an essential function in practicing before the regulatory agencies, which is how the laws finally come down to us in many, many areas. One of the great practitioners of the Washington Lawyer's skills, arts, indeed, is Clinton Vince, chair of Denton's U.S. Energy Practice and co-chair of its Global Energy Practice. He is also a close friend of mine and has been for many decades. So it is my joy to talk to him today, not so much to interview him, but to talk to him about what is the ethos of the Washington Lawyer. Clint, welcome to the broadcast. How did you come to be a Washington lawyer? Why aren't you a Chicago lawyer, a New York lawyer? They're all very different though, aren't they?
1: Truly so, Llewellyn, it's wonderful to see you. Thank you for your kind words. And uh, I came to Washington by accident. I once uh, took a spring lacrosse trip in college where there was snow on the ground and came to uh, Washington or Baltimore area to play uh, schools here in warmer weather and I just fell in love with this location. It was springtime here and wintertime back in Connecticut.
0: Important non-legal lesson now and that is the importance of happenstance in life. Truly uh, so. And uh, But you did go to college in Washington, didn't you? You went to the rather distinguished uh, Georgetown University with his very well-known law school. I went to law school here, yes. And what was law school like? Did you realize that, was this a place of great expectation? There are a lot of lawyers across this country. Some of them are doing you know, DWI, some of them are doing house sales, some of them are doing divorces. But the Washington lawyers are, a, I don't want to say a cut above, but a different animal. Uh, playing in a much larger arena for very large stakes often, stakes in public policy. Uh, did your classmates all think they would practice in Washington and become this this thing, this the Washington lawyer?
1: You know, many of our classmates were uh, from all over the globe, so not everyone stayed here in Washington. But there was a segment that wanted to stay because of all the different government agencies and the seat of power being in Washington.
0: And uh, you stayed in Washington. How did you get into the practice of law? I mean, you get a law degree and you pass the bar, but then you've got to get work.
1: Well, I want to use your word happenstance again, totally by accident. I uh, clerked with a firm when I was in law school just to earn some money. And it happened to be uh, an energy and natural resources law firm. So. That's how I kind of fell
0: through the rabbit hole. Well, that's very interesting to me because I'm always interested in how people, the happenstantial thing that changes a life and changes it, you know, for for better or for worse, and which is uncontrolled and which isn't on the graph lines that you're expecting that you can draw up into infinity. I'm always amazed when I hear parents declaring what will become of their children no 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 it's not like that uh, when you practice law in Washington uh, it can be and I know something about yourself I know you practice before the Supreme Court which must be the the peak of um, forensic testing if you will to argue before the Supreme Court uh, what are your other challenges that you see as being things worth carving on that on in the on the bedpost of life?
1: Well the Supreme Court is the Super Bowl of uh, practicing law if you're doing trial and appellate work. Um, I like any type of uh, work that gets me into a courtroom at any level uh, but also the um, all of the government agencies are here so I do some regulatory work. Congress is here so we uh, do a lot of advocacy, uh, not just before Congress, but before the agencies. So over time, I've um, grown from being just a really trial and appellate lawyer to, to doing uh, many different things, which I love.
0: I know something about you, so we might as well share them. Uh, you were a boxer, you played football, uh, <coughs> you uh, followed Tai Chi, uh, This is an interesting beginning. Why did you become a boxer? You're a fairly gentle man. I don't see you being into aggressive sports, but Tai Chi fundamentally was a martial art. It isn't anymore. And boxing is very much a martial art. Uh, How did you get into boxing and why?
1: Well, boxing was uh, defensive for me. I grew up in a tough neighborhood. It was uh, helpful at that time to just able to protect myself and but, where yeah. was this this was in uh, queens new york
0: and queens um, hmm. we'll get a lot of letters you know from queens saying this is an unfair statement <laughs> uh,
1: well there are many lovely portions of queens but where i grew up was not one of them
0: i actually lived in queens for a few weeks once i stayed with somebody i did not see or feel any need to defend myself <laughs> and i would have been totally inept anyway uh, You're a trial lawyer. This is the drama of the law. This is the high theater with a high consequence, usually. Uh, Life and death or enormous financial issues. How do you feel about juries?
1: I think juries are generally impressive and somehow find a way to get to a fair result most of the time. And I feel that way about judges. Many of my cases are before federal judges or even state judges and then appellate courts, and you mentioned the Supreme Court.
0: Um, Would you rather argue before a jury or before, uh, uh, say, a court sitting on, with the judges sitting on bank? With the type of cases
1: that I tend to argue at this point in my career, I prefer a judge because they're more complex might be business oriented it's helpful to have a person with a higher level of training and experience
0: i don't understand how judges can unravel some of these very complex uh, issues that have come before them not simple things like murder who done it but um, the complexities of of civil law of financial issues of uh, uh, how can you expect 12 ordinary citizens to understand this stuff.
1: You know, to your point, Llewellyn, I once argued a case uh, before Ruth Bader Ginsburg, before she was on the Supreme Court, she was actually on the uh, DC Circuit Court of Appeals. And within moments, she zeroed in on all the essential aspects of our case. And it was very uh, daunting because she was, she was so direct in her questioning. But once I convinced her, that um, that the facts uh, favored my uh, my clients. She actually ruled in our favor, which of course is always the definition of a great judge.
0: Uh, well, it is to you. <laughs> uh, if, if if you are the if you are the prosecutor and the, some poor devil is being sent down, uh, uh, you're not going to think that's a great judge. Uh, What makes a good judge a good judge?
1: I think uh, it's many things. And I've talked to judges about how they decide cases. Most judges decide cases early on. They try to do what they feel is fair, and then they find intellectual and legal support for the position that they feel is fair, which is an interesting progression. Uh, They're not always rigid about what the law uh, might say. They really want to get to a just result. You've just said that the summing up is a waste of time. (laughs) No, it's it's important. But your opening statement is more important because judges and even juries tend to make up their minds early in a case.
0: That's interesting. And in fact, in so many things we make up our minds early and then let, and journalists do too. They tend to find early what is the news. Journalism is all about news judgment. What is the news? And it's very interesting, I'm sure you know this, but if you want to see news judgment at work, uh, watch the Sunday shows, the ones that follow this and some channels, uh, and then read the newspapers the next day how totally different reporters in totally different newspapers will have picked up on the same things early, early in the, because it kind of flows from there. This, though, I think it's very hard to explain, this early, if you will, dare I say it, rush to judgment. Uh, when you go to argue before the Supreme Court, uh, you're aware that uh, the whole world is watching you and that your argument will go into history. It's not going to disappear afterwards in law schools and study and biographies for decades and maybe even centuries to come it will be referenced, examined, argued. Does all that weigh on you? Are you a trembling bundle of nerves and insecurities when you stand up there in the highest court in the land?
1: I was fortunate. I got some great coaching and training from others, from Supreme Court clerks from other uh, uh, advocates that had been before the court many times. So I received some great guidance and so much of it that I felt very comfortable with my uh, appearance there. I was, my first uh, Supreme Court appearance, I was arguing against a former solicitor general who had probably argued 65 cases there. And um, I lucked out, Sandra Day O'Connor, asked him a tough question, and uh, took him off balance, and then I was able to really follow um, some of the guidance I had received
0: from others, so I was fortunate. Did you ever feel that you had been taken off balance and you were wobbling there a bit?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, it's a dangerous place, arguing at the Supreme Court, for the reasons you just mentioned. Uh, Sandra Day O'Connor did ask me one of her famous hypothetical questions and I was told uh, coach to answer the question directly and then suggest that as but to bring the hypothetical back closer to the facts of the case here is how I would respond and I started doing that and she uh, saw it coming around the block so she said uh, and this did make it into the uh, journals as an example of what not to do she uh, said Mr. Vince. You're beginning to stray from my hypothetical. (laughs) So So I got back on track pretty quickly.
0: If Washington lawyers are a subset of the legal establishment, law clerks are a subset of that. It's an elite group, that's right. Uh, How important are they? I think they're very, very helpful. And on all courts or only in the high courts, like the. All courts, the Supreme court.
1: at the Supreme Court it's helpful to uh, prepare before uh, clerks that have actually clerked for the Supreme Court, but for appellate courts it's helpful to uh, use appellate uh, clerks as part of your moot court or people that are helping you train.
0: When do you, when do you um, in your career, draw the line between civil work, which is largely what you do, and criminal work, uh, and did you do any criminal work?
1: I did, a, early on, uh, a few criminal pro bono cases. Um, and I, uh, I, found, I thought I might do much more criminal work when I was in law school, but I didn't like it. And I, it just didn't sit well with me um, that I might be effectively getting a few folks uh, out of prison that really might be better off staying in prison. <laughs>
0: People who want to join this fraternity in Washington are largely civil lawyers. Uh, What would you tell a young uh, person going into the law if they thought that they would like to be uh, in the kind of practice that you are in?
1: I think you just have to be open-minded. I started out thinking I would be a trial lawyer, then as some of my bigger cases, we would settle those cases with a commercial uh, transaction and so I would bring in deal lawyers and I would learn that myself eventually then I realized sometimes it was important uh, not just to try and win a case but to really shape the law um, and so I became
0: more of an advocate. If you were just reading the newspapers or listening to the the radio or the television you get this feeling that nothing can be done because a single judge can halt this and halt that, and some days we have judges in different jurisdictions going against each other. So something is allowed in Texas and disallowed in California, uh, and in both cases the, the, the request may be coming from <coughs> a federal judge. Uh, what do we do about that? That can't be a good way to run things.
1: No, it's not a good way, and I encountered that quite often. I think uh, this country needs two things. We need a Congress that is more functional on passing law on key subjects. We're, the country's so divided now that it's very hard for members in Congress to find a consensus on critical issues. And so when Congress doesn't pass a very, very comprehensive law, then the courts are left to really make policy and that's the wrong location for development of policy
0: uh, we know what's happened at the supreme court it's taken a turn to the right a uh, fairly dramatic turn to the right what about the rest of the judiciary has that taken a turn to the right too? and what are the long-term consequences of that
1: there are some uh, a lot of recent appointees before the um, Uh, Biden administration were far more to the right. The judiciary's become more politicized than I would like to see. Um, It was much less that way when I was a younger advocate. Um, And I think it's healthier to depoliticize the judiciary, depoliticize the Supreme Court and um, you know it's uh, everyone now yearns for more centrism and more Um, uh, compromise. I'd like to see a lot more of that.
0: In the state courts, some judges are elected and some are appointed. Do you have feelings about the election of judges?
1: I've had pretty good luck before judges uh, that have been elected. I think they have to be responsive to the will of the people to some degree or they won't get reelected. Uh, so they, it helps them bring in an element of fairness. Um, the I worry about situations where there's too much special interest money electing judges for a specific reason. And uh, there is more of that than there used to be, and that is not, that's less healthy.
0: About advising presidents, the Federalist Society uh, has been blamed. Um, probably correctly, I don't know It's for you to say, Uh, for the number of right-wing judges that have gone to the Supreme Court. What is the sensible way for the entirety of the legal system to recommend to a president or to a governor who should get a judicial appointment?
1: Well, it would be much healthier coming from uh, bipartisan uh, bar-related groups or other groups that are not associated with a specific political point of view, I believe.
0: Now, you said bar-related. You're an energy lawyer. Yeah. There is an energy bar. Yes. There is a communications bar. How many of these are there? Do you have any idea?
1: Well, I think for most of the major subject areas, uh, there are such bars. The energy bar uh, is a very collegial group and people of all parties and, and political views, but uh, it's, it's functioned very, very well as an organizing body for our profession.
0: Now, a Washington lawyer like yourself doesn't just appear in court, doesn't just issue opinions on matters affecting his clients. He becomes, as I have seen, a mixture of management consultant, general counselor, consigliere, if you like, Uh, uh, sometimes public relations advisor, uh, certainly public attitude advisor. How does that evolve? And how did it evolve in your case from being somebody obviously interested in the law and probably somewhat naively hoping it was blind uh, to realizing that the role of a trusted advisor goes outside of the law and it's very important. I know a lot, of, a lot of chief executive officers who depend on outside lawyers for advice, for counsel, sometimes for comfort.
1: My very good point. My personal evolution has been to um, move out of strictly the courtroom or the deal-making boardroom to really being a counselor. Um, my clients really want them want me to give them not just legal advice but um, judgment and um, they want me to tell them in a holistic way what they need to do to get to their destination and so that's been a very substantial development in how i advise clients going forward and that's why i've become more of a generalist in my profession because it's helpful to know different aspects of the law and different aspects of the judicial system and also the legislative system uh, in order to get things done.
0: If I look at a list of the clients I know you have, they seem to be in the public power sector, the not-for-profit part of the power sector, both municipally owned and rural electric co-ops. Is there a reason for that?
1: Yes, I, I was fortunate I was able to design my practice, and I wanted to represent consumers. I wanted to be able to look in the mirror every day, and if I got a great result in a case, know it was just gonna help people. I also have some major global clients. I've represented uh, huge Japanese clients for, for decades, most of my career, and that's been fascinating. But that's been more, I've represented Uh, corporate think tanks and on policy issues and so on but when I'm in court I feel much better if I know that if I have a successful outcome it's going to affect people some people will stay above the poverty line some marginal businesses and small cafes and restaurants will stay in business and some commerce uh, and industrial customers will stay in
0: business as well in the legal world where do the prosecutors fit Uh, i noticed that most members of congress are former prosecutors they're not former child welfare lawyers they're prosecutors which suggests a hard edge uh, a kind of run with it uh, best you can Uh, is there a reason for that
1: i i don't know the answer but i do know that the training of a prosecutor and the honing of spending time in the courtroom, um, it develops tremendous communication skills and also um, develops character, I think. So uh, my son works in the Justice Department. I think he's really, uh, it's helped him develop as a human being as well as... uh, As a prosecutor? He, he, well, the, the, Justice Department prosecutes, yes. He's, he's in their general counsel's office in the criminal division.
0: We're all interested to see who next will be prosecuted <laughs> by the Justice Department, um, which will be quite a monumental decision one way or the other, whether a former president of the United States, Donald Trump, is prosecuted or not. Either way, Winston Churchill said, a decision not taken is nonetheless a decision. So it will have all of that impact on it, whatever happens.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: It will have an impact on the Justice Department and on the legal system.
1: Yes, it will have to be done with uh, great care and with uh, whatever uh, way a decision goes, and it will have to be done with a fair amount of transparency.
0: And that decision is made by the, the Attorney General? Correct. And it is solely the attorney general. Of course, he's gotten a lot of advice. Yes,
1: it's the buck stops with the attorney general.
0: And the president cannot overrule the attorney general. No, on the, the, the president.
1: Uh, the attorney general has to uh, be non-political on a decision like that.
0: Very interesting. Are you watching this with bated breath or yes, apprehension? Yes, I am, I'm, I
1: well, am really both.
0: <laughs> if you were to. Uh, If you were to improve the legal system, what would you do? I mean, it's not perfect by any means, isn't it? A fair indictment would be that there are very good lawyers who are very well paid and very bad lawyers who are paid more than they're worth but less. Uh, How can we even justice, particularly for the poor?
1: I think that... um one very valuable step would be to have a lot more pro bono work by members of the bar to help people that can't afford it.
0: When we say pro bono work, is this work assigned by courts and in that case are people doing it as thoroughly as if they were um, real, as if they were paying clients?
1: It can be assigned by the courts, it can also be um, done in, a, in many different ways, non, non-criminal situations but civil situations. There's a lot that lawyers can do to help people uh, acquire everything from a social security card to things they need for work and other measures.
0: You are a representative of Denton's, the world's largest law firm, 20,000 lawyers, uh, a truly awesome concept. Uh, how is it managed? How do you manage twenty thousand lawyers? Some under Romano Dutch law, some under Napoleonic law, some under lawyers we've never heard of in the United States. How does all that meld together?
1: You know, it's interesting. We have a global board of directors, that and our lawyers and uh, professionals. Because not all twenty thousand are lawyers. Many professionals. Um, they, uh, every region we're in has its own representation from that region. So we don't have a headquarters in any single country or city, and that's a phenomenal experiment. I I actually love
0: it. It's very interesting. If I get stuck in an awkward situation in a third world country, can I reverse call you to get help? Please do. That's our show for today. We hope the weather cools, and we hope that you don't need the services of a lawyer in any criminal event, at least. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, we are there.